it was me taking a taking a bathroom break. I tried to mute it during the during a question. I was like, perfect. I'll just let him ask the question and I can finish and it didn't work. <laughs> didn't finish in time. It's the H Dog Pod with your host, Michael the Hound Dog Harrison. Hey, welcome to episode 51, the Randy Johnson edition of the podcast. What can you say about that monster? He had an amazing nickname in the big unit, was a five-time Cy Young Award winner, 10-time All-Star, World Series champion, and nine-time strikeout champion. The 6-foot, 10-inch behemoth would throw 100-mile-an-hour pitches at ease and pitch till he was 45 years old. Did you know, though, that he started with the Montreal Expos? Eh, It's easy to forget. The indelible video of Randy Johnson's career, however, has to be the time he unfortunately uncorked a fastball and hit a bird mid-flight in a spring training game in 2001. If you haven't seen the video, YouTube it. Obviously extremely sad to see the bird die on impact at one of his heaters, but the video looks like it's straight out of a Bugs Bunny cartoon. Rest in peace, birdie. You never stood a chance. My next guest today I don't believe has ever thrown a fastball to hit a bird mid-flight, so without further ado, let's get cracking. Okay, now welcome on Davis Sanchez. He played 13 years of professional football, winning the Grey Cup three times, and had a two-year stint in the NFL He now works on TSN as an analyst, along with TSN Edge, giving betting advice on football games. Welcome to the H-Dog Pod, Davis. I'm glad you didn't. uh, I'm glad you didn't tell the truth or tell the uh, the quiet, slimy fact that that I won three Grey Cups, but I actually only played in one of those. So I I try to keep it uh, (laughs) kind of quiet as the years go on. People forget, but I was actually injured for two of those Grey Cups. But uh, on my bio, it still says. Three-time Grey Cup champ, so uh, I like. I still like to hear it, but uh, quietly, it's not really true. That's actually funny. I, I didn't remember that either. Uh, where did you play? Like the games before the Grey Cup, or were you, were you out for oh, the yeah. entire playoffs? Or no, uh, yeah. So I in 05, uh was in Edmonton, and I tore my hip flexor like the sixth week of the season, and then my last year in the league, I was went back home and played for BC, my hometown, and I dislocated my elbow uh i think week five so so yeah i missed uh you know a good good uh actually a good a good story is uh that that bc lions team in 2011 so i started the first five games at defensive back for that team we were oh and five and i had it was a bad year i don't remember and they had a huge turnaround actually i had season-ending elbow surgery after week five and uh, they went on an eleven-game win streak as soon as I went out, and then ended up going to win <laughs> win the Grey Cup. So uh, I have a ring, but uh, the ring I don't think was for my great play. It was more uh, appreciation <laughs> for me leaving the team so they could go ahead and win some games. I was just gonna say, so uh, with, uh, with, uh, powers of deduction, you were the, the you were the problem, I guess, <laughs> the first five games. <laughs> yeah, well, it wouldn't be the last time, or it won't be the last time, and it wasn't the first time that I've been the problem, sure. <laughs> well, you said, obviously, you weren't able to play two of those three super, uh, great cups, sorry, uh, but I'm sure you had the parties afterwards. Uh, those must have been crazy. Hey, uh, any uh, good stories from those? <laughs> Definitely the the one great cup that I played. Well, I played in I played in three, four, four great cups. But the one that I won was in Montreal, and uh, of course that would have, or that was the best place because Montrealers uh, know how to party. So that that was pretty epic. Uh, after that, the great cup parade. And I don't know how many people, but you know over a hundred thousand people there, and and uh, obviously we did the whole. Uh, you know, small town tour after we did a city tour after we party for a good 
a good week before I packed up and went back home to BC. But it was nobody parties like like Quebecers party. And I <laughs> I remember when I signed with Montreal, I got drafted in in uh, '99, and I remember I had not left the West. I had never been to Toronto. I'd never been to Montreal. I didn't know much about the West Coast or the East Coast. So. I remember getting drafted and being disappointed. Like, oh, Montreal, if they speak French out there, it's really far. I don't want to go way out there. I had never heard anything good about Montreal. And I had friends of mine that were in the music business there. They're actually the Juno Award-winning artists. It's the, they're called the Rascals. They're, they're a rap hip-hop group from, from the 90s. But anyway, I grew up with them, and they had done tours around Canada, and they had been there, and I told Red One, who was – um, one of their one of their uh, the lead rapper. And he, I told him about it, and he said, "Are you kidding me?" He said, "Montreal is the best city in Canada. You are gonna love it." And he went on about it. He's been he had been everywhere at that time, and I was still young at that time. And he told me how great it was, and and uh, lo and behold, I got there in that that summer, and uh, I was uh, pleasantly surprised. I thought there was some sort of party or a festival going on when I got downtown the first weekend. When I saw downtown, it was just and I and I asked somebody. I said, "Nope, just a just a regular Friday <laughs> night in Montreal." So uh, pleasantly surprised, no doubt. Nah, I've been to Montreal only a couple times. Once for uh, Buddy's bachelor party, and I don't even know how I came back alive. To be honest with you, uh, he saved me. Uh, I got into all sorts of nonsense <laughs> or whatever. But yeah, it was definitely a great time in Montreal. Holy crap! It was it was it was definitely awesome. Uh, yeah, good, good city. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll delve into the uh, NFL playoffs here in a little bit, but I want to talk about when you first got into football. You started when you were 16? That's that's amazing. Late bloomer. Yeah, you, you know what? Basketball was was my passion and, and what I, I loved growing up. And, and uh, you know, I, I grew up playing soccer. And, and so I just kind of uh, – football was something that was uh, – my buddies did so I and I was a decent little athlete so I, they asked me to come out but yeah I wasn't uh, in love with football I like to be I like to be inside and warm and and uh, have a nice haircut and and, uh, and uh, that was kind of my deal but uh, so playing football in the freezing cold and rain and uh, with a helmet on wasn't really my deal but I I uh, fell in love with it once once uh, high school I actually played a year of college basketball and uh and uh you know, just a community college in, in vancouver and, and after that uh my buddies were playing junior football and, and asked me to come out and, and i did it more of a, as a social thing obviously what i knew was competitive and and i and uh and i just did a kind of a social thing to be with my guys and and i and i there was some other guys that had gone down and played down south and i, I thought you know what I'm, I'm as athletic and probably as good as those guys have actually worked at it and that was kind of the deal i just kind of said you know what and, I, and really, to be honest, I had nothing else going on. That was really the, the, the fact that when I went down south, I walked on to Butte Junior College in California, and I, I walked on sight unseen. The coach had never even seen me play before, so I didn't have a scholarship, didn't have, uh, wasn't highly sought after, and, and uh, just kind of went down there, gave it a shot, and, and uh, it was pretty quick once I was there that I realized that, that looking at the guys around me and the guys who had had some success, and I said, oh, if I actually worked at this, I, I think I could be all right, so... That was it. That was it. That's uh, that's amazing. So, yeah, obviously, like I said, thirteen years in professional football. That's a outstanding career. Uh, and you and you played for the Chargers for two years there. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Your first NFL start, you were lined up against Jerry Rice. Am I right about that? And how daunting yeah, you, was? Yeah. How daunting is that? The greatest receiver ever. Maybe the greatest football player ever. Yeah. Not not only Jerry Rice, but uh, that was. 
That was uh, Jerry Rice. Uh, Tim Brown, maybe? Uh, Tim Tim Brown, and uh, there was a, a Jerry Porter was pretty yes. good, too. So they had, and Rich Gannon was the MVP. So they had a really good uh, offense, and I, I ended up uh, – that was my first start. I ended up um, – I ended up breaking my breaking my ribs or cracking my ribs around uh, halfway through the third quarter or something. John Ritchie, the fullback, I don't know if you remember John Ritchie, mm-hmm. but I yep. uh, went up to he caught a little pass in the flat and I went up and hit him and his his leg kicked me in the rib. I ended up cracking my rib and I end up I was out for the season. Uh, that was only a few games left in the season there, but uh, yeah, that was my rookie my rookie year and uh, yeah, it was, Jerry wasn't in his prime at, at that point. Certainly, this was uh, two thousand and one, I believe, and. Uh, he wasn't in his prime, but it was still. Uh, they were. I think they played in the Super Bowl that year. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they, they eventually beat uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in that Super Bowl. Uh, that's right. The Gruden. The Gruden deal. Yeah, that's right. And so, obviously, yeah. uh, with San Diego at the time, uh, Drew Brees was uh, a second round pick drafted there. Uh, you were with him for a couple of years. Did you know, like, he this guy was going to be a stud? It would just maybe take a little while because I think it took him like two, three years to really find his footing. No, I didn't. I didn't know, and I actually, it's a pretty, pretty good class. That was, you know, my my rookie class. The guys that I came in with and did rookie camp with and lived in the dorms with. I was just a free agent guy, but the, the guys in my class were, uh, when Ladanian Tomlinson was the was the first pick, and 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 uh, Drew Brees was the second pick. So <laughs> some Hall of Famers Jeez. and some a pretty good draft class by uh, by the Chargers brass. Um, I, I didn't know. No, there was nothing about Drew that. Uh, uh, but then again, you know, I had not been around the NFL a long time, so I, for me, I, I didn't know much about you know what made somebody great, and 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 uh, so I, I was unaware of of his of his greatness. And he was a second round pick, so it wasn't uh, you know I knew Ladanian was special, but I didn't know that Drew was uh, going to be who he was. Or yeah. who he is, I guess, still playing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, well, like I said, we'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, playing the Bears this weekend. Uh, uh, what players did you try to emulate when you uh, when you were playing? Oh, great, great question. And uh, oh, well, uh, it's going to be guys that uh, not many people know. But as a as a five foot nine, uh, quick, shifty guy, I kind of gravitated to to those kind of those kind of guys. So one of the guys that I I liked a lot was Aaron Glenn. I remember him. He for the Jets. Um, he was a guy that I, I watched a lot. Um, I liked Ty Law as well. Uh, you know, anyone who is a, you know, an instinctual, shorter, quicker guy. Because I, you know, I, I looked at some of the some of the better corners in in the league. You see these tall, long, linear, fast guys, and that that just that just wasn't me. I was. Uh, you know, I kind of had to be. I was more of a slot corner, uh, shifty and, and quick, and had to uh, try to use my instincts the best I could to uh, to cheat to, uh, to try to try to make plays. But yeah, those are some of the guys that I that I liked a lot. Ty, Ty Law definitely was, uh, and, and Aaron Glenn. If you're say you're uh, tasked tasked to go up against a guy like a DK Metcalf now, obviously he's a monster, an absolute freak. Uh, how would you have uh, like sort of broken that down to be able to slow him down as best you could because he is just an unbelievable talent? Yeah, I love, and I'm, you, you've heard it a lot being around. You hear you hear the old timers say things like uh, they're not as good as we used to be, and and they're not the same as we used to be. And I, I find that uh, I find that so entertaining and amusing uh, because they're just. The athletes of today are just so much better than we were, and I'm I'm only ten years removed 
and uh, less than 10 years removed. And, and I still am very aware that the guys coming out nowadays are just are just that much better than us. I, I don't even know if well, I, I'm certain I wouldn't have made the NFL uh, with my skill set today. Uh, I'm not good enough to, to play down there. They're just too big, too fast. And, I mean, a guy like DK, you asked, you asked how I would cover him. I would uh, ask for help. I would hope that we would uh, play cover two so I could just be a low corner and I have a safety over top of me. And, uh, you know, I would, let him, I would let him catch the ball in front of me and I would hit him, I would hit him low and, and, and try to keep him in front of me and, and, uh, and stay away from jump ball situations. I'm, I'm teasing and I'm, I'm having fun with it. But to be, to be honest, the way you play a guy like DK is – is you keep him in front of you, uh, you play outside of him to make sure that um, whatever he does, you can see him and you can see the quarterback as you're as you're backpedaling, and, and therefore uh, being someone that's quicker than him, you can just react to him, keep him in front of you, and then you know hopefully use your 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 quicks and your feet to beat him to the spot. Because if you get um, if you're running stride for stride with him and you have your back turned. Uh, they get a lot of jump balls over you, and it's almost impossible to defend if your back is turned. So you know, I, I watch guys on film, and we watch NFL every week, and I, and I wonder why guys don't uh, uh, make it a priority to stay on top of him and outside of him and play through him. That's, uh, you know, as a smaller guy, any DB, you want to just play through those guys, use your quickness, because there's not many guys that he's quicker than, but he's bigger and stronger and faster than everybody. Yeah, he's uh, like I said, he's an absolute absolute freak. It's crazy that he got uh, taken at the I think it was the last pick of the second round, which is like how do NFL evaluate evaluators miss that one? Like uh, he's a uh, amazing. You know, guy. I'll tell you, I can tell you how honestly because I looked cool. at I looked at DK. I'm I'm wrong, and the the evaluators were wrong as well. But seeing him come out, he doesn't doesn't seem to get out of breaks very well. He takes a while to get out. He's not. Uh, Super quick, and he doesn't didn't have great hands. So yeah, he drops you know, the ball. You look a at amount, yeah, yeah, and he he has been. I mean, he, he's caught the ball this year. I mean, he's been you know he has drops, but yeah, you know he's caught it better than better than I think most anticipated he would. But you know when you when you look at his his skill set and he can't, you don't think that he can get in and out of breaks as quick as he would need to in order to in in order to get separation. But he does. So that's I think that's what I don't think I know that's what evaluators saw because I saw the same thing and didn't think that he was going to be that good. And even when he started to have success last year, I thought it was a one hit wonder, two hit wonder, three week wonder. And then I started to say, okay, maybe I just need to look and say, maybe he is better than uh, I think he is and his, or at least they're using him in a way that his big body and, you know, linear skill and strength is, uh, you know, is, is productive. Yeah, absolutely. And when you're trying to uh, like get into a new defense, uh, like I, I always hear that the play calls are like eight, ten different words or whatever. How freaking long does it take to actually be able to fully digest a playbook and actually understand some of these play calls? It's like I always marvel. It's like how do they even uh, like remember all of these words? And you know, it just it just seems crazy to me. I, I tell this I tell this story all the time. And I, it's I find it amusing. We went to Miami my rookie year. During training camp, they used to do it. They don't do it now because of COVID and even some of the practice rules in the NFL, they don't do it as often. But we went to Miami and played played the Dolphins for a week, you know, where they where teams go and you practice against the other team and then mm-hmm. you play them at the end of the week. And, and one of our DBs, who was a, his, his name is Tate Cody, he was a third-round pick from Florida State. It was his birthday, 
Uh, he's from Florida. I believe it was his birthday. Anyway, more of the stories. He he wanted to have a, a party mid midweek, and and we had some time off. And Rodney Harrison and 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 Tay Cody, a couple of the DBs, uh, we're all gonna go down to South Beach, and they they had some limos come up and pick us up and go down and and to South Beach. And I ended up, and I like to I like to get it in. I like I like to party, have fun. I've never been never I've never been shy on the partying. Uh, and this is something I would. I would have uh, been more than happy to join, and, and I actually bowed out and uh, and stayed in the hotel and said, "I'm I'm just gonna relax and, and tonight and and not go out." And it was an off day or off night, but the reason is for that reason is that it's so difficult. There was just so much to try to uh, to learn, and as a guy who was not drafted, a guy who um, didn't have a, a, a large signing bonus. And for me to try to make this team, I just realized this was my one shot to, to make the NFL. And, and I needed to do everything I could to try to, um, you know, understand the playbook and, and get rest and do that. But that was a big part of it. I didn't go anywhere without my playbook. And and uh, it, it takes it just takes consistent studying and, and repetition and, and doing it. Because it, it, to your point, it's a lot. And I played nickelback. I played cornerback. So I was – uh, playing in a number of different positions, of course, special teams, and, and there's a lot, a lot to learn. So, yeah, if you if you don't take it serious and you wanna you wanna be an NFL player, especially if you're you're undrafted, if you're drafted, they'll give you, you know, the benefit of the doubt and at least a, a early round draft pick, and they'll give you time to figure it out. But if not, you better bring that book everywhere you go because it's uh, you can't be a dummy and, and play in the National Football League. That's that's for sure. How many pages are uh, in a typical uh, playbook? Oh gosh. I mean, you think about those. Think about the duotangs you had in in high school, and then uh, and then times them by three. So we had those big those big three ring binders, and you had there's the slim ones that you have for classes that aren't that big, and there's the medium ones that you have for larger classes. We'll picture the biggest one, and then picture it being with the huge rings, and picture that being full. So uh, we're we're talking hundreds, you know, several hundred pages for sure. Jeez, wow. Uh, let's talk about a couple of coaches and uh, teammates and uh, you've had in the past. Yeah. Just sort of uh, your impressions of them. Uh, Anthony Calvillo. Well, yeah, AC was uh, AC was a different a different kind of leader. Not not a uh, not a not a raw raw guy, kind of quiet and and just more of a guy that you look at and you can depend on him because you know he's putting the work and because he's the one that has the ball in his hands. Most of the time that you you want to uh, because, you know, he's putting the work, you want to get your stuff uh, done as well. And that's how you kind of see AC. He's not a raw, raw guy. He's not a big motivator. He doesn't say too much. But, uh, you know, you, you knew that he was always prepared. And then when, he, when your leader is prepared, it, it, uh, I think it makes you want to prepare. Uh, definitely. Uh, what about you play with Doug Flutie, right? I did. Yeah. What's uh, uh, how was he? Yeah, not not a leader, uh, and I don't mean that in a in a in a in a bad way. Doug was Doug was new to San Diego, so we come we came in together the same year in in 2001, and we were there t- together in 2001 season, and again in the 2002 season. Uh, but but Doug is Doug was new to San Diego, so he was just trying to fit you know fit in and learn. You know, I say the same as me, not the same because he was a 20 year football vet, but still new to the team, so. No, no, he's really quiet. Doug didn't say a whole lot. I had one Doug Flutie uh, memory I always have, and I thought was really funny, and it kind of tells you uh, the kind of guy that Doug is and why he was able to play till he was, you know, forty something years old. Back when no one, nobody played that long, 
but I was we were in a hotel somewhere. I forget which what city we were in and on a on a road trip. And you know it's uh, you know, ten o'clock at night or whatever it is. And I walked out of my room to go I don't know, grab ice or grab a water or whatever I was doing. And I came back around the corner, and like it was like he was a twelve year old kid. Doug was sprinting sprinting down the uh, the the hotel hallway and then like cut made a sharp cut to go left to his room but he was by himself and you look at him I look I said that, that's a 40 year old man running running down the hallway in a hotel like a like your like your 6 year old son would do trying to test his speed out but Doug's like a Doug's like a big kid and uh and uh <laughs> it's probably why he was able to play so long and if you watch his style of play he plays like a big kid kind of playground kind of guy but that's uh, Doug keeps to himself. He's not a big, uh, not a big talker, but a guy who uh, loves to play the game. He's always playing games after practice, you know, throwing balls, competing, stuff like that. That's kind of uh, a fun-loving nature of a guy Doug is. What about uh, a couple coaches, Mark Tressman and Wally Buono? Yeah, we're good. <laughs> That's funny. I, uh, I, uh, a couple times uh, on these pods, for some reason, my phone's gone out. So I was like, "Oh crap, not again! Is it going to happen again?" Nope. <laughs> it was me. It was me. It was me taking a taking a bathroom break. I tried to mute it during the during a question. I was like, "Perfect! I'll just let him ask the question, and I can finish." And it didn't work. <laughs> didn't finish in time. At least this will give me a chance to wash my hands. Eh? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously, yeah. they say wash your hands <laughs> a million times. That's that's hilarious. <laughs> There you go. Like I said, it's funny because uh-huh. it's happened like three or four times during these podcasts. This is episode fifty-one, but uh, oh, wow. you know, in the <laughs> it's a, in the middle, like, the phone cuts out or whatever happened when I had Dan O'Toole on here, and it was like, oh, oh no, not again, my phone. So I, I for sure thought uh, this phone had cut out. <laughs> what about uh, coaches like uh, Wally Buono or uh, Mark Tressman? Yeah, the two two guys who uh, definitely had a a bigger influence and both were at the end of my career. Wally, I, I have a, a ton of respect for, uh, he's a, Wally's a really good man and, and, uh, and someone that I have a lot of respect for. Actually, I'll tell a quick, uh, a quick Wally story. And this is, this kind of will tell you about the man that, that Wally is, uh, in my, after my last, my last season, uh, the injury that I discussed, I wanted to come back and play another year. And uh, I was 36 at the time. You know, we just we just never want to hang it up. You know, pro pro athletes think we think we can play forever and, and never want to hang it up. And and so uh, I talked to him in the off season, and, and he said, "Well, we'll see how you come back from your injury, and if you, you know, if you're if you're healthy and you can still you can still move, then you know we'll talk about re-signing you." And so I worked out. This was probably in you know December, something of that nature, maybe January. So I worked out in January and February. And, and I was training really hard, probably like as strong and as 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 fast or as big I had been in years because I just I knew that I had to really fight to 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 get another another year in. And and, and Wally called me into his office. Uh, they asked me to they asked me to run a the defensive coach that said to ask me to come in to run some drills and run a forty and run some drills with some of the younger guys they were bringing in to kind of see where my fitness was at and where my athleticism was at after the injury and. And being being thirty six year old guy, and Wally came a couple weeks after that, and I, I was supposed to do it sometime in March. And Wally came to be at the beginning of March, and he he asked me to come talk to him in his office, and he said, "Davis, he said, uh, you're supposed to work out for the guys here in a couple of weeks." He's like, uh, "I don't think you should." 
and he goes, you're, you're, you've had an amazing career. You're, you're a great veteran. And he said, he said, I don't think they have any plans of bringing you back. He said, and because of that, I think they're doing you a disservice by having you go out there and, and run around with the young guys. He's, there's nothing that you're going to do. That's going to, um, you know, change their mind. He's like, why would you, a guy with a career of yours, um, expose yourself to that? And he said, I wouldn't even bother. And I, and I, I left and basically that was the end of my career. And I, and I, I walked out of his office and was, and thought I was pissed off because he basically, that was, I knew that was the end. I, I wasn't going to go anywhere else. I was I already started some business stuff back home and I was at home. So I wasn't going to go look for a job somewhere else. And DC was basically said they don't want me. And I was pissed. And then as soon as I actually took some time to think about it, I thought this man is actually, that's one of the most respectful things that he could possibly do mm-hmm. by, by saving, he could have let me go out there, let me work out, let me do whatever. And then let the other coaches tell me that, uh, you know, they didn't see enough of what they wanted to see, but instead he just was uh, blunt and honest with me. I respect Wally for that. He's a, he's a man that uh, he, you don't always like what he says because he, uh, he's pretty blunt and honest. But uh, I respect the heck out of that. So a lot of love for Wally. Yeah, I would think uh, I would love that as well. Like, of course, like you said, it would maybe piss you off, but at least you know where you stand as opposed to if you didn't know where you stand with a coach or whatever, or you think you're doing well or, or you're in their good graces or it, it, not, not even just coaches for sports, just in, in, in life and business or whatever. In like life in general. You know, yeah. Yeah. I'd much rather know where, where you stand with someone. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, How did you get into broadcasting uh, when your career was over? Yeah. You know, that was uh, James Sabalski, who is uh who used to be at be at TSN yeah, and is yeah, uh yeah, see balls. Uh, who was a, a good a good pal of mine and, and or has become a good pal of mine through through this. Uh he came down, actually came down to San Diego in, in those early years and he did a story on me and, and uh down there and we ended up uh hanging out and spending some time and it became friendly and then the, the CFL had asked asked him to do a podcast and, and and he was living in Vancouver at the time working for another network and uh, he asked me to do a, uh, they asked him to do a podcast and, and he, they asked me if he knew anybody else that they thought might be, might be fun to, to talk football with. And he knew I was living in the city and I wasn't doing anything in, in, in uh, the broadcasting world, but uh, he just thought I would like to talk and, and uh, which I do. And, and uh, so we did it and we did a podcast and we had some fun with it. And then from that, the CFL uh, asked me to do a few more things that were on camera and, and then, uh, and uh, like I said, I had started a facility services company with a, a partner of mine, and we were doing that. And so kind of no real desire to go into this world. But uh, I got a call from uh, a message uh, from TSN asking me if I had any interest in, in, in uh, kind of doing a demo and trying some other things. Uh, and uh, and that, was, that was about it. I did that, and uh, they liked uh some of the stuff and uh and so yeah that was you know that was kind of it and i just ventured out and moving moved to toronto uh, give it to kind of give it a shot for one season and and see how see how it went on almost almost a trial stuff with with psn and uh you know four years later i'm uh i'm full-time and uh and and uh kind of uh doing all sort of different stuff so it's it's been fun it's uh it's you know uh talking about sport and and uh and uh getting paid for it i can't you can't uh can't complain it's definitely uh 
as as you know, it's uh, it's uh, not not always easy, and it's it's uh, it's a lot of a lot of stuff goes into it. But uh, I uh, I've, I've enjoyed it, and I, I um, I'm more lucky than I am good. I get right place and right time, and and uh, love the people that that I rock with and work with, and uh, and it's yeah, it's I, I feel pretty fortunate because there's a there's thousands of people that could that could do my job I, I i don't have any special special skills and i just i, I got the right place at the right time and I, and I and i truly love what i'm doing and and you know 90 percent of people that i work with are awesome so it's 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 a pretty cool deal except for that uh, hound dog guy on the jane dan show oh, that guy's just an absolute jerk for sure no question about that the, the hound dog guy could definitely do do my job and his at the same time <laughs> uh, it's funny you mentioned James Sabolski actually because I think he's going to be on this podcast in a week or two. Spoiler alert! Uh, yeah, yeah, I worked with him back in the day when he was on uh, TSN. Like, like you mentioned, uh, just the nicest dude ever. I, I love that guy. Uh, Is that you work? With, you work with Sebal, huh? Back in the day, like yeah, he was the TSN for gosh, I don't know how many years it would have been six, eight, ten years, something like that. And just honestly, the nicest dude. I, I love him so much. Uh, yeah, so now, I say this, Hound Dog. About let me add one more thing about Seaball. Sure. I will say this, and I've met lots of people and worked with lots of people over the last four years now. The most selfless guy I have met in the industry. A, a lot of there's a lot of good people. Uh, there's also every a lot of people are, are. It's a very competitive business, so a lot of people are taking care of uh, themselves, taking care of number one. Not every not a lot of people want to share share secrets or share uh, or, or put other people over in in in, in fear of of uh, you know not making themselves the the guy. James is is and was. Uh, completely selfless and in at the time in a position where he was out of out of out of the industry wasn't working he's now works for our, our one of our competitors but he wasn't in the industry working at the time and still always continued to try to put me over when I was trying to get in which I look back now and I see how how things work in this business and I it's it's great it's a lesson for me and I'll always you know, take care of the young guys coming and 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 try to, uh, you know, emulate how he was to me because it's it's really amazing when when, you know, when you're trying to get yourself over and you're trying to keep keep or keep yourself on to be that selfless to put other guys over is uh is a pretty cool deal. So James is a really special dude. Perfectly uh, said. Couldn't couldn't have said it better myself. Uh, how'd you get involved in TSN Edge and what do you do for that? Yeah, I mean TSN Edge is I've always had a passion for for sports betting and, and, and the fantasy part of, of football. And that's, that's what TSN is. TSN edge is it's, it's, uh, it's uh, a hub for, for all for sports betting and, and fantasy information. And I guess it's been a project that's been, we've been talking about for, you know, over three years now, Brett Bailey uh, and, and Don Padula, uh, the co-founders, uh, along with myself, and and we've been, you know, we've sat down with with the the good folks and and my boss and your bosses, and and uh, you know, I, I, the first conversation that I brought this to the table was, you know, 2017 or 18, and pitched a few different things, but we had to get through, jump through all the hoops of the legalities and make sure that it was it would work. But it's something I've been pushing for for a long time, and and. And uh, the future is bright. It's it's uh, the future of sports is uh, you know hand, goes hand in hand with with sports betting and and sports betting information and fantasy sports. That's just you know to get the, the younger generation involved is is uh, 
and that's what it's going to be. And, and I have a huge passion for it. It's, it's fun. I mean, it's, uh, you know, if I wasn't, uh, if I wasn't broadcasting, I'd probably be, be betting full time. So, <laughs> so, uh, it's, uh, it's something I love. And, uh, and the TSN edge is, is in its first year and it's, uh, it's, only getting bigger and, and it's been uh, it's been amazing and we have so many so many uh, opportunities and, and great things uh, on the table that uh, we're looking forward to it and it's been it's been cool got a good, good a small team and a great team and it's it's gonna be fun yeah I've been writing as, as, as you as you know Hound Dog yes as a part right. of it yeah exactly yeah I've been writing uh, golf uh, articles for uh, TSN Edge for I guess since their PGA Tour restart in June so it's already been half a year it's it's crazy how quickly time flies with stuff so. What yeah. other sports do you? What other sports do you? Uh, when you talk about sports betting, where else do you have interest in? Obviously, you do your golf, your golf piece for TSN Edge. Is there anything else that that you uh, that you focus on betting wise? Yeah. So the uh, I also write for SportsBettingDime.com. Uh, plug and uh, so I do some NFL and NHL for those as well. A little bit of M- NBA and MLB, but that those are so I guess the fourth and fifth sports. More pretty much outside of golf, the only other sport I really bet a whole lot on is uh, NFL. Uh, but I like to do prop bets and, and they're, they're ones that they don't always work. It's a, sometimes you, you might go a few games without winning it, but next touchdown score is, is my favorite bet to make for football. Mm, wow. Wow. That's a, that's a I, I, I ventured down those, those streets, but those, that's pretty, that's pretty savage degenerates. Uh, when you well, look at those in game bets, the funny thing is I don't even bet on, uh, like, uh, going into games or spreads or I, I don't bet on any of that stuff. Cause there's not a, a whole lot of uh, potential value if you're right. Like in terms of you have to bet more to to make a little bit. Sure. So sure. I had yeah two straight weeks I had Isaiah McKenzie next touchdown score for the Bills and then he wow. scored he scored but then it was a penalty so I got taken back. The next week I had Freddie Swain touchdown score for the Seahawks against Washington. He gets it but then they call it back because he wasn't in bounds. It was like oh my god two straight weeks I would have won and both those, times. Those would be those would be more than what 15, 15 or twenty to one minimum no. Yeah I think they were. Uh, Swain was 33 to one and McKenzie, wow. I think was 25 to one. I was like, Oh my God, <laughs> like that was so frustrating, but they are, they are wow. fun to do. Uh, that's a perfect segue into, uh, you're going to the playoffs now this weekend. Uh, uh, let's do some quick hitters on these games. Bills, Colts, Josh Allen, amazing, obviously season with the bills against a great Colts, uh, defense. What's, uh, what do you think is going to go happen there? Uh, bills, uh, win that game. It's also a perfect segue into time for me to light up a nice cigar. So, oh, it's uh, I am I am firing up a nice cigar as we speak. Uh, <laughs> I love it. The Colts game. I'm surprised. Uh, the Bills Colts game. I'm surprised that that number is as steady at six six and a half and and not hit the seven mark. I don't I don't find I don't find too many people. I haven't found too many people that that think that the Colts uh, can hang with the Bills. But I've also heard time and time again about sharp sharp money if they find sevens in a playoff game with two teams that are that they think are you know somewhat you know close at least that the sharps and the pros are going to jump on that on that seven number so i think they're i think the books are hesitant to move that number you know up up to seven because they think they'll get a lot of sharp pro money on indianapolis and i could see why i'm a bills bills fan but if that number went to seven, it'd be really tough for me not to take Indy. I don't think I would because I want to cheer for the Bills. But if I was just strictly looking at from a dollar and cents standpoint, I would probably, if it got to seven, I would, I could see people sharp money at least, not public square money, but sharp money jumping on on Indy. 
Well, yeah, obviously the Bills have been crushing teams the last couple of weeks, so that's I'm sure why it's, it is seven. I used to find any playoff game in, in general, seven or more, it's just that's, that gets a little bit tough. Uh, especially. It does, but but look at the two look at the two games that are that are that have lines over seven right now, and they might be some of the worst dogs that we've seen in in the playoffs in a long time. Like Washington is as bad as they come, and Chicago is not very good either. I mean, and so those are two teams that I actually picked. I picked both of those because, to your point, I'm looking for the underdogs because I know that in a playoff game, a lot of the square money, more people, more casual betters are betting on a on a playoff game and in a situation, which is pushing those. They, they always bet the favorite, which is pushing those numbers up, which makes us look to take the underdog. Mm-hmm. Um, but those dogs are so bad this year that it's it's hard to it's hard to bet on them. I think Washington uh, of the two teams uh, between uh, Chicago and New Orleans, Washington, uh, Tampa Bay. I think Washington because they're front four. Uh, I love how the, the analysis always was about Tom Brady. That's how you beat Tom Brady. You just get to him and sack him. Well, no, duh. Obviously, to, <laughs> in order to be a quarterback, you sack him. But Washington's right. front four is really, really good. Uh, there's a chance, not on offense, of course, they're really bad. But maybe on defense, they could force a turnover or two, possibly. I think Washington could keep them, keep them kind of close. They've been pretty good lately. And, and Washington, add to that, Darby and... and the guys in the back end, they're actually their corners are actually pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, w- I would I would actually say their corners are above above average. So yeah, they can they can rush and they can if they have to line up out there and hold on, they can. So yeah, I I could see I could see that. Well, I shouldn't say that. That's their way to win. It's not so much that um, I have any faith in Alex Smith or no. their offense, but no. I I can see. I can't see that defense holding on, but I just think that I feel like Tom and them have figured something out. You saw AB last week had he had 14 targets, and a lot yeah. of that was on just like smoke screens and getting the ball out. And if I don't know why they weren't doing that all season, but if if AB can, if Tom could just get to the line and check out of check out of when he feels pressure and check out of it and get the ball on those quick hitters, I don't see how you're going to get to him. And and uh, to your point, you got to love everybody. It's easy to beat. Uh, it's easier how you beat how you beat them is just get pressure on Tom. Well, that's, <laughs> Duh. Well, thank, thank, thanks for the insight. <laughs> exactly. I just, I just find, I always find that funny every year. It's like, well, that's how you beat the Tom. Well, duh. Like, come on. It just seemed like so ridiculous uh, of a uh, analysis. Is. This is lazy analysis, basically. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, the, my favorite team, of course, diehard Seahawks fan. I have been for over twenty years. Uh, huge game against the Rams. Third time they're meeting this uh, year. A couple questions about that game. First of all. First half of the year, Russ was cooking. Their offense was amazing. The defense was a train wreck on pace to by far shatter worst yardages ever given up in the NFL season. Then the last half of the year, they've completely flipped. Defense hasn't been a train wreck, but it hasn't been very good. How does a, how does a defense turn it around? That, obviously, they got Jamal Adams back, and they trade for Carlos Dunlap. DJ Reed's been really good on the back end for Seattle as well. How can like a, they go from like atrociously brutal on defense to like actually being a really top unit. They had the most sacks since like week nine or something. That's, I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a fair question. And the easy, the easy lazy answer is, is to, is to say that uh, it's, it's Jamal Adams. It's, it's, and, and they did more, more than Jamal Adams, but the, the addition of, of uh, Dunlap. And that's, that's what everybody says is as soon as Carlos Dunlap came, that, that changed, gave them some, 
uh, you know, some presence and, and some some pressure on defensive line. I, I I agree with that. He's obviously we noticed that it's not it's not just circumstance. They got better at that point. But I will say this: I believe that Ken Norton Jr. and, and that defense, and obviously Pete Carroll being defensive guy, they they believe that they could just line up and and get after you because they did it for so long. You know, they they just. They lined up. They didn't. They didn't get complicated, and they just got after you. They ran. They hit. They were nasty, and that's kind of how you know the, the, how the Seahawks played. And with I think with their personnel this year, I think they tried to kind of keep it simple again early on in the year, and 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 figure that that's you know that's how they would attack you. And they're not good enough. I think they finally realized that they're not good enough personnel wise to do that. And I think that invoked some change and, and, and forced them to be multiple. You forced them to show a lot of different looks. You, you see now they're, they're showing a lot of different fronts. They're showing a lot of different blitzes. They're, they're mixing up their coverage. I just, I just think that they realize that they have to adjust, be a little more creative and yeah, adjust and be a little more creative uh, on the defensive side of the ball because they're not they're not that talented anymore, and so I, I think that's the biggest thing for me in, in watching them is that is yes, Carlos Dunlap's been a big deal. Shaq Griffin was out; mm-hmm. who was their best corner when he was out. That that hurt the heck out of them, and and so I think that the biggest thing is they they've adjusted. They've they've tried to be a little more creative, not not uh, give them give people the same looks too often, and I I, I believe that's helped them a lot. There's also Quinton Darnbauer was their, their starting corner. They brought in the offseason. He was injured, especially the game against Buffalo. Like he was just hobbling. He was terrible too. The when he was healthy, he was terrible. Yeah, he wasn't uh, good. And maybe yeah. maybe because of the injury or because of he had too many uh, beers at the barbecue that he was attending with this yeah. with his uh, steal, stealing people's watches or whatever they did. Yeah, but, yeah. yeah he, allegedly. Uh, he, yeah, allegedly. Yeah, he hasn't been. He wasn't very good. And I agree. The injuries. To their to Dunbar and and the, and the, you know and Griffin they, they were banged up in that secondary big time. Trey Flowers was struggling and then he got good. But then he then he got injured. But then yeah, that's when DJ Reed, a waiver claim from San Fran, came in and he's wow. been he's 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 a, I was talking about a shorter cornerback. I think he's five nine or five ten, and not typically a Pete Carroll a cornerback. He loves the the tall ones, but DJ Reed's been outstanding. Like, he's what been an great. amazing find. So they're he's fortunate been with that. Great. Yeah, I remember the first week that he, the first week he came in, and, and uh, you know he was, I don't know if he was on the street for a week or two before uh, from San Fran, or, but but just knew he was a, a basically a free pickup, uh, a, like you say, a waiver pickup. Uh, didn't you don't expect that guy to be any good? And uh, the first week he was okay, like definitely pretty good for a guy that 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 had hadn't been playing, and then you just see him get better and better. And there's an example of a guy who's who's a football player, you know, at his size. Probably, you know, he has to be a football player in order to be in the league at his size. Um, but yeah, he's he's been he's really good. Absolutely, and even when uh, Jamal Adams came out, another undrafted player, Ryan Neal, uh, had a couple of big games, interceptions, and uh, like he he had a couple of strong games as well. So it's amazing how they've been able to have that turnaround. But uh, so on offense, I, I was wondering about this. Um, uh, so week sixteen, like I said, the Seattle offense has been sort of struggling for quite a while. Uh, so knowing that they could have played the Rams in the playoffs, which they did, obviously they're trying to win in week 16 to win the NFC West. Do I always wondered this, do teams knowing you could play that team in a few weeks on offense go a little bit vanilla? Like did Seattle maybe not show all of their, you know, trick plays or all their, you know, gadgets or all the different things knowing that you could play them in two weeks or did they just throw that out the window and say, it doesn't matter. We have to win right now. 
there's two ways there's two ways to look at that answer and, and it's a great great question one one is you want to show a bunch of different looks to that team because you're playing them in two weeks to give them stuff to prepare for and give them different plays off the same looks and, and to try to add that to their their cards and the things they need to prepare for to add extra work and let them not focus and kind of distract them from what you really want to run. And the second, the second is yes, if you have plays that you think that will have you'll have success against them, where you can catch them in a in a in an uncompromising position defensively or offensively, whatever it may be, you don't want to show those for sure. Not no, I, I you know you you had a great point. You wanna you wanna hold those you wanna hold those plays until or those formations uh, until the game. So there's two ways to look at it, and and for sure they looked at them. And 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 use both of them, uh, both you know, both uh, giving them formations just to just to mess with them and make them prepare for them, and to get them off of the scent, and then also, you know, saving some formations and and plays that they know that in a big situation they'll use. And I'm convinced going to this playoffs, like last two playoffs, Seattle was in there. I was like, they're lucky if they win a playoff game. To me, like obviously the Rams are a very good team, and I'm, and and they all Sean McVay has their number, but I'm convinced that like. This legitimately could be a pretty good year in terms of you know, the defense is obviously, like we said, come around. The offense has been sputtering, but I, I just get a feeling that now they have Brandon Shell, the right tackle back, left guard Mikey Potty back. So they, uh, they haven't had their, I think they're starting five uh, altogether since like week five or something like that. So I'm convinced that like their offense can do just enough and their defense can be pretty good that this actually could be a pretty decent playoff run. And of course, that probably means they'll, they'll, they'll lose by thirty points or something stupid. But uh, I only bet one. I only bet one pound, pound dog. I'll tell you this: you'll you'll appreciate this, and you'll you'll like this. I only bet one future this week uh, for the Super Bowl, and it, it was a Seattle Seahawks. At, I think I got it at plus twelve hundred or plus eleven hundred. Nice, yeah, and that was the one I odds. took. Yeah, just yeah. like they said, the defense is actually they don't, the defense doesn't have to be Legion of Boom amazing. They just have to be competently decent. And then the offense, like, no matter what, even though they have been struggling, like I said, the last half of the year, I always trust Russell Wilson like he did the last two weeks. When it mattered most, fourth quarter, he was able to, uh, to you know, spin his magic. So, uh, actually, I've only done one future to win a Super Bowl, and it was, like, five weeks ago. Uh, Baltimore Ravens, I got them at, like, 28-1 to 1 because at the time they were, like, 6-5. Wow. and five. Wow. Uh, I think Baltimore uh, – uh, uh, speaking of Super Bowl, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say Baltimore beats the Saints in the Super Bowl. You know what's you know what's great, uh, and, it's, and it's it's uh, it's it's great for us because you hear what I said. I said I only took one team on a future this week to win to win the Super Bowl, right? Mm-hmm. And that was and, and that was the Seattle Seahawks. I have one other future that I took Baltimore? during during the during the season, Baltimore Ravens. <laughs> I took them during during the season, and mm-hmm. I, I did not take them at the at the time you did, and I did not get near. I mean, the great number you did, but I, I took them. Uh, I'm not sure what week it was, but I got them at like plus 1100 or something. And I've always said it, and you probably heard me say it on on, on the show. But I, I believe, from a talent standpoint, uh, Baltimore is as dangerous as you're going to find, and they haven't been great. Lamar's looked terrible at times. He's he's uh, I, I've used the word cringeworthy. In his in his uh, in his accuracy in his passing game and his confidence in his arm and his accuracy, but he's still one of the best athletes in the NFL. And he if he gets hot and finds a touch and gets in a rhythm, 
their defense has playmakers. They they have a chance. They could beat. They're a team that could beat anybody. Absolutely. Like the Colts might. The Colts might be better. I'm using the Colts for example. The Colts might be better than the Ravens. The Titans might be better than the Ravens. The, all these te- these teams might be better than the Ravens, but they don't have the upside that the Ravens had on any given day. If the Ravens are hot, they could beat anybody. The Colts can't beat everybody. The Colts, there's no way the Colts are winning the Super Bowl. There's no way the Titans are winning the Super Bowl. But but the Ravens are good enough that if they get hot, they could beat anybody. That's sort of the way like they your, won the I Super like Bowl. I like your bet. Yeah, well, that's sort of the way they won the Super Bowl uh, with Joe Flacco. Was it 2013 or something like that? They, they, going through that playoffs, no one also have four. Also had four Hall of Famers on their defense. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Didn't, did, didn't hurt. Yeah, that's for sure. But yeah, I, I uh, Mar- Mar- Marquise Brown, their first round receiver, two, uh, a couple drafts ago. Like I think he has like five touchdowns in the last six weeks or something like that. Like he's starting to come around. So uh, they have that uh, for Lamar Jackson and. Uh, yeah, like now they're not fourteen and two going in as the number one seed like last year. Everyone's expecting them to roll through Tennessee. Like now that they're, they're, they can just sneakily sort of, uh, you know, surprise some teams. As I said, like the other times they won the Super Bowl, I think Baltimore. I hope, uh, hope I'm wrong. Obviously, hopefully it's Seattle, but uh, I think Baltimore right. uh, could do it. I like it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, Davis, uh, thank you for uh, being on the podcast. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, appreciate that. We didn't even get to the uh, the Cleveland Browns. Uh, Oh man, they finally make the playoffs. Good. Oh. I'm glad we didn't. I'm glad we didn't get to the Cleveland Browns. That <laughs> that game in general is that game in general is an absolute disaster. But I know yeah. one thing as well. If you're gonna if you're gonna do well in the playoffs, I'm gonna do well because we both have the same futures. Well, you know what? That's perfect. <laughs> so we'll, we'll either go down in the sinking ship together, or obviously be uh, very very excited uh, who wins the Super Bowl. So uh, yeah, no, thank you for taking the time to be on the podcast. It was a blast, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Hound dog, thanks, my man. Thank you. Take care. That was a blast talking to Davis Sanchez. Good to see we're both on the same page with futures bets on the Ravens and Seahawks to win the Super Bowl, even if I pick Baltimore and Orleans to be in the big dance. That moment where he muted his phone during the interview while he had to uh, water the daisies has to be one of my favorite ever in 51 episodes of the H-Dog Pod. Great to hear him breaking down this weekend's NFL Super Wildcard Weekend and discussing his career along with his insight in being a defensive back in football. You can follow him on Twitter at Chez underscore TSN Edge, and also TSN Edge as well on there at aptly named at TSN underscore Edge for all your fantasy sports and betting odds and lines. Thank you for listening to episode 51 of the H-Dog Pod. Mang. This has been the H-Dog Pod with your host, Michael the Hound Dog Harrison. Mm-bang. 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 Mm-bang.